Check, check. Good morning, church. That was great. I was afraid we're going to have to do a second time. The, f- the first service, um, they were a little still asleep. So, but it's okay. Um, thank you for being here this morning. I appreciate it. Um, at first service, you, you missed um, one of the most interesting icebreaker introductions of all time. Um, I left my mic on mute, and they went to turn it on, and it, and it got to squawking and squealing. Um, and then everybody laughed and had a great time. But unfortunately, there's no icebreaker for that uh, this morning. But I hope you're well. I'm happy you're here. I'm excited to see you. Thank you for being here. Randy asked me about two weeks ago, um, right after I started, if I wanted to um, preach this Sunday. And I said, sure. You know, I'm not moving until um, April 7th. It'll give me plenty of time to, to get here and to get um, kind of grounded. And, and I, my moving date got pushed up and I moved yesterday. And so it, it has been a crazy week of packing and of running as fast as I can and moving yesterday. But I am a Columbia resident now, um, which is an incredible thing. And I'm, and I'm happy to be a part of this community. And, and I, I'm just excited to be home. I think that is a beautiful thing. And, and to think about um, us as a family um, just makes me excited. So Randy told me when he gave me the opportunity to preach that, that I could talk about whatever I wanted to talk about. And that's a very broad topic. And, and, and I thought a little bit about it. And when I decided... Um, to say was I wanted to talk about Luke chapter 15. It's by far, and you can start flipping there if you want to, we're going to be at home in Luke chapter 15 today, but it's by far my favorite chapter in all of Scripture because it depicts so well the heart of God. It tells you what God is all about and it, it kind of introduces, hey, this is what my plan always was and this is what my plan will always be. It's a chapter about grace and about redemption. It's a chapter about us sometimes leaving God and being lost, but it's about God seeking us out. That is the true gospel of Jesus Christ, is that the lost are found. But before I get started this morning, um, would you just take a second and pray with me? God, we thank you for this morning. Um, Father, we pray simply that you reveal yourself through Luke chapter 15 today. God, we pray that the things that we discover in your text, God, that may you come alive through the power of your Spirit. God, may we leave this building here today changed for the better. Father, may we leave seeking the lost. God, we love you. It's through your Son, Jesus, our Savior, our Christ, we pray. Amen. So if you'll flip over to Luke chapter 15, what we're going to kind of do today, we're going to look at Luke 15 in its entirety. And so what I want to do is just take it um, a couple chunks at a time, if that's okay. So just small bites, and, and what we'll do is we'll take a bite, and then we'll, we'll kind of digest it, and, and then we'll kind of keep going. So I want to set the scene before we do anything else this morning. Because I feel like if, if we don't know the context, don't know the scene, don't know who is there, we're not going to truly get everything we can. So if you would, Luke chapter 15, we'll start in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Let's stop right there. So what you're going to realize is, in this story, there are three main groups of people that are kind of lumped together that are eating with Jesus. You have tax collectors. Let's start with them. Um, Our versions um, and ideas of tax collectors are kind of weak. Um, when you think tax collector, if I, were to, if I were to ask you to name a tax collector, you would say Zacchaeus most likely. And when I think Zacchaeus, these kids will get it. We sing, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. So we remember that song, but we've kind of trivialized the idea of tax collectors. What I want you to realize is that during this time um, in the world, Rome ruled 
everything. Rome was the world leader, and not, not just the world leader, but the world conqueror. Rome had it all. And if you go back and read through history, it's, it's so interesting to me to read about Rome, but how does Rome conquer the world? Well, with an army, of course. And how do you fund an army? You fund it through taxes. And so what Rome did is they would employ people of different races and different religions, and they would say, okay, we want you to come work for us, and we will make you rich. Tax collectors were sellouts. They were chumps, what they were. So what they would do is they would leave their people and be traitors. And they would come back and they would take money from their own people. So those are the first people we see. Second group of people we see are sinners. Now, um, what, I, what I want you to realize is sinners here doesn't mean people who commit sin. Not just that. But sinners back then, and what this meant in this context was a group of people. And that group of people consisted of beggars, those who are lame, prostitutes, outcasts, diseased people, deformed people. I could keep going, but what I want you to realize is this group of people are the minority. They're the group of people that if they walked down and sat in this church building, that, that nine times out of ten, a lot of us would kind of look over our shoulder and try to figure out what was going on. Let's just be honest. And so we have these people that, that really don't belong, but what interests me most about Jesus' ministry was the fact that Jesus ministered to the outcasts. That Jesus went out to the furthest circle of, of the people in the, in the race and in the religion and in the culture of the time and said, I, I want you to be on the inside because you matter. And that's such a beautiful thing about Jesus' ministry there in the first century. So, okay, the third people I want you to realize this morning um, are here listening to Jesus are the Pharisees. They're the religious nuts. They're the, I'm better than you, I know more scripture than you. By their early teens, they had memorized the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. When's the last time you read Numbers? Think about that. Seriously. I know that we all do our daily Bible reading. We get to the book of Numbers and um, at least 60% of us like, throw it away and say, okay, I'm going go to I'm gonna go to 1 John. Like that's the easy thing to read, right? So we give up on Numbers. But, but I want you to realize is that they could memorize it and they could recite it. This is where they're at. They think that it's all about them. So I want to dive into the heart of this text today. So let's go to Luke chapter 15. We'll pick up in verse 3. So Jesus told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he had lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine out in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, and he says to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Uh, in this parable, we really find Jesus kind of showing to the Pharisees how the kingdom truly is. How God really sees things. The Pharisees have this idea that, that it's all about them. That it's, everything is about them and their circle. And, and what I want you to realize is this parable, if you'll go to the next slide for me, um, is a parable of ignorance. And we're going to get to that in just a second. But um, in the Pharisee's mind, here's how God saved. You had to be religious and you had to be pure. They believed God's heart was all about purity and separation, that, that if you weren't completely pure and didn't know the Pentateuch just like them, that, that you were an outcast, you were an outsider. This is how the Pharisees saw things. What I want you to realize is that Jesus says, 
it's not about being on the inside. It's about being included. God didn't only love the pure at heart. God loved everyone. You see that in Jesus' ministry. Um, they believed, the Pharisees believed it so much that they were willing to let anyone else go to the wayside. They didn't care who you were, but if you were not pure, if you didn't do the things they did, you were just lost to them. But Jesus kind of steps in and says, kind of pump the brakes here. Would you let a lost sheep die? And the Pharisees are probably thinking, yeah, it's their fault. They shouldn't have wandered outside of the fence. But Jesus says, no, shame on you for thinking that. That's not the case. What you do is you leave the 99. You go and you get the one. When I think about this story, um, I want to read verse 7 real quick, though. Um, Check this out. I I love this. And and I'm a visual person, um, and I can imagine um, that if we're in a cartoon, the Pharisees have steam coming out of their ears when Jesus said this. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I guarantee you that the Pharisees are sitting here and they're, they're like angry and they're clenching their teeth and, and, and they're screwing up their eyes. And, and this is maybe the moment where they decided, okay, we've got to get rid of this guy. Because you'll notice just a few chapters over, Jesus gets crucified. So I'm thinking about this. Jesus is telling people what they don't want to hear. He's telling people, hey, this is not how it works. When I read this story, though, um, I think about this as a parable of ignorance. You have this shepherd, okay? When I'm thinking about the shepherd, his one job was to protect the sheep, right? Was to watch after them, make sure they're all there. But for some reason, he was ignoring his job or he wasn't paying attention and one got out. I think about that and I think about us as a church. How often, church, do we let somebody into our flock, okay? And then because of our ignorance, because of the fact we weren't paying attention, they slipped through the cracks. How often is there someone that you know that maybe you just haven't poured enough life into them that that they just kind of slip through? That you haven't seen them in a while, but because of our comfort level... We let them stray away. It happens all the time. But that's not how Jesus wants us to operate. Jesus says, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave the flock and I want you to go and I want you to seek after. I love Jesus' heart. Let's keep going. Let's pick up in verse 8. This is the parable of the lost coin. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before angels of God over one sinner who repents. So we we get kind of the same picture here. We get this woman who's, who's freaking out. She's lost one coin and some of us are sitting there like, we got nine left, but it was a day's wages. So it wasn't going to break the bank, but... It wasn't unimportant to her. So she thinks. So she loses this coin and she starts to kind of do what I did in Murfreesboro yesterday is to clean out the house. She moves the couch. She pulls up the rug. She, she cleans out the attic. She has a garage sale. She gets, you know, the couch in the front lawn. Like, this is what's going on. She's looking everywhere for this coin and can't find it. But I love when she finds it because I think it gives a really accurate depiction of, of kind of how God feels when, when we're found, Right? She goes out and she calls her friends. She says, come and rejoice. I'll, I'll, I'll bring the chips and salsa. Like, come on over. Like, we're going to have a party. It's going to be awesome. Like, this, this is their context. 
They are celebrating because what has been lost has been found. But this parallels so well what Jesus said. Look at verse 10 again for me. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus is all about finding the lost. That's what he's about. And I think that's what he wants us to be about as a church. Now, you might be asking, what does this parable have to do with carelessness? What I want you to realize is um, she lost the coin, and it was valuable to her, but she had nine others. So did she really need it? Was she going to suffer without it? Probably not. But because she had grown accustomed to having it, because she'd grown accustomed to, to having that amount, yeah, she noticed it when it was gone, but she didn't really do much about it. Let's talk about that in our church context today. How many of us, like the first time, um, are so comfortable here that when, when somebody leaves, that we, we don't really notice it first. Or when somebody goes away or we have a friend in our life that's going through a struggle, we don't really notice it because um, we are struggling with this carelessness in our lives. I think that is a big deal. Um, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with me real quick, um, we'll flip back to Luke. If not, I'll just read it for you. Um, we're going to read just a few verses out here. I love, what, I love what Paul writes, and I love what Paul has to say. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to start um, in verse 12, actually. For just as one body um, has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into your body, uh, into our body, or to one body. Sorry, there we go. Jews or Greeks, slaves are free. We are all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make, any less, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? And as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Skip down to verse 27 for me, if you don't mind. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do not all speak with tongues? Um, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts? What I want you to realize is this. Sometimes in the church, I feel like we take two or three spiritual gifts or two to three positions, and we exalt them and put them on a pedestal. Right? I, I guarantee at one point in time in your life, you've seen someone with a spiritual gift and you said, and I wish I was better at that. Or, man, that is so great. I, I, I'm, I can only do this. And this is how we rationalize things, and this is how we feel, but, but this is not what Paul says. This is definitely not what Jesus says. They say there's equality in spiritual gifts. There's equality in members of the church and the fact that, yes, some are allowed to do this and some are allowed to do this, but the equality brings us together as a body. What I want you to realize this morning, uh, church family, is that Paul talks about this, and, and we need to value each other. But sometimes I feel like that, that we sit here, and yes, we, we come and we shake hands. You know, we put on our nice face, we shake hands, we may give hugs, and just say, it's great to see you, and then we'll see you next Sunday. That's our level of value. Sometimes I feel like the children aren't valued, or um, our older members aren't valued by some, and, or the middle. I don't know where you're at, but sometimes I feel like we don't 
value anyone who's outside of our circle, right? But what I want you to realize is, um, just like this woman, we need to stop getting rid of our loose change. So sometimes I feel like we look at people in our congregation as loose change. And that may be um, sort of brash to you, but I want you to realize is that we look at people as disposable sometimes. We either we don't know them or we think, oh, I could do that. That's not that hard. And what I want you to realize is that um, people aren't disposable. I think that we no longer are slaves um, to carelessness when we stop being complacent. I feel like sometimes we sit here at church and, and it's warm and it's comfortable and we, we're, we take our spot in the pew and we don't want to go out and visit people or see people or pick up the phone and call someone, but instead we just say, I'll get around to it eventually. I'll get there. Uh, and we think about this and we don't do anything about it. We're careless with our members and we're careless with the people we come in contact with. Um, the last thing I want to hit on today before we finish is back in Luke chapter 15. And it's going to be our last parable this morning. If you want to flip back over there with me. This, this may be my favorite parable altogether in Luke chapter 15. Um, the story of the prodigal son, it's such an incredible story. And what I want to do is um, continue to kind of go like we're headed. I want to take just a couple bites at a time. We'll start in 15 verse 11. And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father... Give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property into reckless living. I want you to think about this. Um, I'm going to get some crowd interaction. How many of you are parents or have been parents at one time in your life? Most of you. Um, I want you to think about this. Parents, your child comes up to you And they say, all right, mom, all right, dad, um, I I know that at one point in your life um, you will pass away. um, And I know that you've willed me something. But I want you to go ahead and give me what you owe me right now. uh, Because I can't wait for you to die. I know it sounds a little crazy, but but what the son walked up to the father and he said, Dad, I wish you were dead, so why don't you go ahead and give me what you owe me? Because I'm tired of being here. Whoa! Whoa! Just, whoa, it blows my mind that the son would come up and do that. But do you think when the son left the father's house and went out into the country that, do you think he missed the father's house? Probably not. you think he missed the rules? Not at first. you think he missed being under the umbrella? Why do you think he went so far away? He wanted out from under his father. But if you think about it, that's what we do when we're trying to leave the father's presence. When you and I struggle with sin, when we have something in our life, nine times out of ten, we we run away from God, not towards. We say, okay, well, I'll deal with that another time. I'll put it on the back burner. Uh, Yeah, I'm struggling with with this lust in my life, or I'm struggling with this um, greed in my life, but instead of dealing with it and and running to the Father, I'm going to run away. I'll deal with it another time. This, This is what we do. We look for freedom, but we can never find it. Check out what happens next, verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. 
I'm going to be really honest with you. Um, besides the fact that this is gross, and, they, and he was Jewish, and, and pigs are you know, unclean, and there's a lot of grossness going on right here. But I want to say this, and this is a point that I want to make. The son refused to be a son anymore. He refused sonship. But I want you to realize this. When we, as, as Christians, as people who believe in Jesus, refuse sonship or daughtership, we accept slavery. That's exactly what happened. Yes, he, had, he may have had some fun for a while. He got out of there. He got away from the umbrella of the father. He spent all his money. He might have had a good time for a little bit. But what he ended up being was a slave. He went from being free in the presence of the father to being a slave in the presence of the world. And that's so incredible to me. It's, it's unavoidable. I don't know what you're leaving the father to go to but I can guarantee it's always going to wind up in slavery. Pick back up in verse 17 for me, if you don't mind. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, that's key, while a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion and he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatty calf and kill it. And let us eat and let us celebrate. For my son was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost now he's found. And they began to celebrate. What a story. The father doesn't even acknowledge that the son had been gone. That is so incredible to me that, that the father doesn't even pay any attention because if you, if you look back, the son had either thought to himself about this little speech, but I, I imagine he probably wrote it out like on a little piece of paper, right? So he's got it written out. He's saying, you know, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. And he shows up to his father and he sees his father running towards him, probably thinking that he's going to get scolded or, or get the parent finger. You know, moms, you know this finger. You shake it at your kids. And so you're getting this story and he... And he sees the father and he opens up maybe the scroll and he says, he starts to read it, maybe with tears in his eyes, Father, I've sinned against you. What does the father do? He doesn't react in indignation, but what the father does is, is he hugs him. He says, I'm glad you're home. Let's party. Like, I'm so glad you're home. Let's invite everybody. Let's celebrate. Because you were lost and now you're found. I wish the story could end here. Like, what a great ending. But Jesus has one more person he wants us to know. Um, pick up in verse 25 for me if you don't mind. Now his older son was in the field, and as he, as he came and he drew near to the house, he heard music and he heard dancing. He called one of the servants and asked um, what these things meant. He said to him, Your brother has come, um, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out um, and entreated him. Come in, come in. Uh, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. And I've never disobeyed your commandment, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when, I, check this out, he hates his brother. He said, but when this son of yours, he doesn't say, but when my brother, he said, this son of yours, 
came home, who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatty calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead, and he is alive. He was lost, and now he's found. This is epic celebration going on. I can imagine it's like a block party, right? Like everybody's there. The neighbors are there. They're having a great time. And the, the brother kind of peers in the window and is trying to figure out what's going on and figures out his brother's home. He doesn't claim his brother, which I think is, is interesting to me, and it really shows his attitude towards the father. But, but he comes at the father with borderline hatred. He says, look, Dad, you didn't even give me anything, and I've been here the entire time. This guy represents the Pharisees better uh, than and anything maybe in Scripture because they've been there the entire time, but they're not truly in the Father's presence because they're doing it for show, right? And then you've got the Son who's coming back. Um, I, I think this is a parable of willfulness. Um, here's what I want you to realize this morning. Um, it's a parable of willfulness because not only did the Son willfully leave, wrongly leave, but when he came back, the father willfully took him in. And he hugged him and they celebrated. And that is such a beautiful picture of what heaven is going to look like. God bringing us in and we're celebrating with him. I need to ask a question this morning. We'll, we'll end on this. Um, if you hit the next slide for me. What about us? So there are four things I think we can take away from today. Um, here's what I want you to realize. The first thing, God's going to make you, or God's going to let you make your own choices. You are allowed to lose a sheep. You're allowed to lose a coin. You're allowed to leave the Father's presence altogether. But I think in every single instance what you realize is that it's better to be in the Father's presence. It's better to be in the fold and it's better to be found than it is to be lost. Next thing I want you to realize this morning is that God values you. Sheep, coin, son. God loves those things and what He shows you in these stories is He adores you. He loves you more than you could ever realize. Third thing I want you to realize this morning is that God will search for you. Um, the beauty in Luke 15 uh, isn't really about these stories, but it's, it's in its entirety. Um, I, I love that God goes after the wild at heart and the hard at heart. You see it in the story. You've got the wild at heart brother who goes away, but God also goes at us um, who've got some layers on our heart who are not truly being who we need to be. Uh, a few chapters over, I love what Luke says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. God wants, to, wants us to know that we're not only valued, but sought after. I don't know about you, but I find that as really comforting. The last thing I want you to realize this morning, um, God will celebrate when you return. And I think about us as a church. I think we should celebrate when people return. I think we should take from this and realize that God wants us to come home. That God needs us to come home. That, that He, to, in order to do His plan, in order for us to really have life and life abundant, it's in the Father's presence. I think this morning it really boils down to two things. You're either lost or you're found. And that's a pretty simple statement, but... Sometimes I feel like even though we're found because we've been baptized and we, we do all the right things, we come to church and we stamp our cards and we do everything by the book right, we're so lost. We, we haven't felt Jesus in our lives. 
we haven't talked to anybody about Christ. We don't feel the Holy Spirit working within us. Maybe this morning that's the boat you're in. Is that you have been found, but you're currently lost. We're going to help you with that. This morning, maybe you have never met Jesus at all. Maybe this morning, you don't know who Jesus is in His entirety. And the way to fix that is, is simply come forward and we'll take your confession and we will baptize you in the name of Jesus. You'll receive the Holy Spirit and you'll go from being lost to being found. You'll go from living a purpose, purposeless life to having purpose and to having the Holy Spirit. This morning, I want to encourage you no matter where you are, no matter if you come down front, Jesus wants you to be found. Jesus seeks after you. And he loves you. If we can do anything at all for you, anything at all, um, please come forward as we stand, as we sing.